0: Welcome once more to the podcast that is uh, the only one out here that is for the wittiest and the prettiest amongst us. That's Gary Talks 2, and I am Gary, and I'm talking. So, this is episode 21, believe it or not, and it will be the season grand finale. And, uh, I'm gonna retire and consider other projects and come back in January with a continuation on another theme uh, from the writing and some more lunacy on YouTube. I'll tell you more about that later. So, as I've always tried very hard to do, we're gonna focus on the time period that leads up to the U.S. Civil War, which is the time frame for my family saga Journey, the story of an American family, the two volume set right now with volume three due out in 24. The story is told against the backdrop of slavery, abolition, cruelty, and racism. And it is my position that most of what we see these days in our headlines, virtually every day, every week, every month, over and over again, has at its root the hatred and racism of the past. It's just wearing uh, better clothes, I guess. So, in keeping with the theme of the show, we will take a hard and unflinching look at what Christmas time meant for the enslaved people in our country. So, go grab an eggnog or a cup of hot cocoa and hang on this here sleigh ride may get a little bit rough. So we are back. And as we uh, all gather our families together this holiday season to celebrate whatever we wish, however we wish, it might be instructive to take a look back at what this time of year meant to those who uh, had no freedom to do much of either. Back in the, uh, the glory days of 1830, Alabama, Louisiana, and Arkansas uh, all declared that Christmas was from then on a legal state holiday. And it may surprise you to learn that many of the traditions that we uh, take for granted in our American culture actually started back then, like exchanging gifts and decorating the home, singing carols, all a part of today's Christmas culture, had their, um, their origins at within our culture there, if that makes sense. For the enslaved population, however, Christmas was a time of very mixed emotions for everyone. Some were allowed to travel to visit friends or family that were being held in bondage on another plantation. Imagine being allowed to go see your children or your parents. Marriages that were not even really recognized under the law, were permitted, and sometimes white family would uh, would attend. Others uh, would not, saying that seeing the people they owned acting like they were civilized was just too much for their delicate constitutions. I still think we see that. Another of the many dehumanizing aspects of slavery would also raise its ugly head during this time of year when humans were actually given as gifts, often uh, from parents down to children or to newlyweds. Yes, Christmas uh, was a time of very mixed emotions and for very good reason. A significant percentage of the black population in the South would actually get a very welcome respite from the uh, the hard physical labor that defined their lives. There would be celebrations with food and dance provided by the uh, master, and people would be allowed to congregate for these functions, something they couldn't normally do. However, some slaveholders uh, feared black rebellion so much that they would proactively just institute harsh punishments and restrictions instead of allowing celebrations. And, of course, the enslaved people had no say whatsoever in these decisions and actions. And uh, and like all things in that uh, bizarro world of the antebellum South where truth was a lie and lies truth, this so-called Christmas kindness only served to strengthen the paternalistic aspect of slavery. All things flowed to the enslaved from the quote, kindly master, he would provide for them. No need to worry about such things at all. No need. And if you displease the master, well, the flow of stuff would be cut off along with a hand or a foot or something else that you had grown attached to. This very small reprieve is also meant to... uh, encouraged loyalty and allegiance to the master. And also, as Frederick Douglass said, who escaped slavery when he was 20, it was to, quote, provide a safety valve to carry off the rebellious spirit of enslaved humanity. And another dreaded event for the families came at the new year. The buying and selling of human beings went on unabated during the Christmas season, of course, as did the practice of renting or hiring out some of their slaves to others who had a need for very cheap labor. So picture this, at the end of the year, the rented out slave would come back to his original plantation and see his family for a few days, then was likely to be rented out again at the start of the year, causing another long-term separation for many of the families. That's why New Year's Day was often referred to as Heartbreak Day. Okay, here we are again. You know, uh, all throughout history, people being held in bondage will always try to find a way to cope with their situation somehow, somehow. In Journey, I talk a little bit about this. I talk about how the old spirituals that were sung back then were actually a way to communicate with each other when communication was discouraged very actively. Groups of the enslaved often use the cover of church or religious practice to share information between plantations, at least until the owners wised up and made it the law that a white man had to be president at most gatherings, if not all. But another way to resist is to co-opt the tradition of the oppressor and just make them your own somehow. And I have to say, this is another one of those things I just came across in doing some research today, for today's show, I mean. Um, I'll tell you about it. So, in in Wilmington, North Carolina, throughout the southeastern U.S., slave populations celebrated this time of the year with a ritual that was called, quote, John Coonering, wherein folks dressed up in the wildest vulgarest costumes dancing and singing from house to house in the town where a small gift was expected at each stop or you would be denounced in song as being so poor you couldn't even spare a coin and of course they were mocking the uh, they were mocking the white people these were all black men the black women didn't participate participate they uh, kind of followed along and beat time with, uh, with instruments, but uh, it was all men. Some of the white population objected, of course. They didn't want to see their property behaving like real people, because, you know, it's a lot easier to deal with them if you didn't see them as actual people with actual lives to live. But most, however, saw the wisdom in allowing such a, a harmless frivolity They also saw it as a way to protect their investment by being kind occasionally and not just cracking the whip constantly. And they also understood the importance and the place of dance and singing in African religious rituals and celebrations. So why not? So I dug a little deeper um, in the origins of this, uh, this ritual which has many names, are a tad foggy, but according to a noted historian, Robert E. May, in his most excellent uh, book, Yuletide and Dixie, Slavery, Christmas, and Southern Memory, those roots lie in Jamaica in the 1600s. It spread through the Caribbean and finally to North Carolina where it was adapted to local needs. It became the one day a year when enslaved people could mock their enslavers, when they can hold them up to ridicule in a harsh light, while all the time pretending to play a game and make music. That's all, that's all and nothing going on. Again, people who are held under the heel of others need to have some sort of relief valve or... Uh, Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, hot diggity dog. It's that time when I, Gary, shall seek to bring some light and justice to the drab and dreary world. That's right, boys and girls, it is time for the political rant. Yay! You know, uh, I think I'm going to have to uh, get another crowd. Those guys sound a little worn out. Maybe uh, jolt them back to life after the new year. Well, you know, I originally had planned on just doing some, you know, some year-end reminiscing here. Stay away from any actual ranting. Jeez, we could have gone over, kind of chuckled over some of the Hitler quotes and the... uh, found the humor in, uh rights being taken away from American citizens and you know, all the funny stuff that goes on in our world. But that is what I really wanted to do, you know, go back and look at that year that just passed. Like, eh, maybe it wasn't so bad after all. But alas, it is not to be. Those MAGA-Nazi jerks at Prager U just landed another smelly turd in my inbox this very morning with the catchy title of, quote, A World Without Fossil Fuels. So, seeing as how the Prager boys made their fortune by fracking the earth to squeeze the very last drop of crude out of it, I shouldn't have been too surprised to see something like this, but... But this piece of crap is just too, too much to allow it to go by without some comment and offering my humble opinion. The host, a uh, gentleman named Rogan O'Handley, starts out by telling everyone that fossil fuels are, quote, everywhere, even in the buttons of our shirts. Yeah, thanks sir, Rogan. I do believe that uh, you've actually identified part of the problem. He also assures us that the equipment that gets the oil from the ground is, quote, powered by fossil fuels and taken to refineries and vehicles, quote, powered by fossil fuels and is then delivered by other vehicles that, well, you know what comes next, I'll bet you. I'm sure you do. He also reminds the kiddies out there that are being spoon-fed this crap that all of the machinery in all of the factories was, quote, made with fossil fuels and is, you guessed it, powered by fossil fuels. He, uh, he paints an absurdly one-dimensional picture for this indoctrination film. And again, I hasten to add, that is not my word but Dennis Prager's world indoctrination. Mr. O'Handley posits a world where suddenly we have no fossil fuels, instead of just trying to hold a meaningful discussion on how maybe we can wean ourselves off of fossil fuels. He darkly intones that civilization would collapse and our world would be destroyed. Fossil fuels won't bring about doomsday, he says, but alternative fuels are guaranteed to. Conservation kills. It is, of course, absolute bullshit, pure and simple. And these simpletons are spoon-feeding this crap to our kids in a school likely near you. Right now, maybe look out the window and you can see one. You know, you really do need to learn more about this right-wing ext- extremist group that admits that admits that they are trying to quote indoctrinate America's children. Even if you uh, don't have any kids in school like me, you should uh, you should learn more about them because they're coming for you. Okay, well, there you have it, folks, the uh, episode 21, the final episode for season one in 2023. I'll be taking a few weeks off here with, uh, with all the writers and producers and stuff to uh, enjoy some time with family and friends and recharge. When I come back, I'll be launching a brand new talk show on YouTube to go along with the show that's already on YouTube called Gary Talks Truth, and, of course, the videos of the political rants from this podcast, Rat Cheer. So once again, I'll remind you, if you'd like your voice to be heard or an opinion read out without censoring, please drop me a line at podcast at gvbrights.com. That's the podcast at gvb, my initials, writes.com, and we'll make it happen. All emails are answered. You can also check out uh, the website at www.gvbrights.com. Where have I heard that before? Where you can learn about uh, my books and the mentoring I do. I'm also making a direct appeal to my listeners out there to uh, contribute to the Katsukulo Library where I've been mentoring, so we can restore mentoring service uh, to the kids there. So stop by and check it out. So, uh, however you celebrate this time of year, I hope you do it surrounded by loving family, good friends, and lots of light. Okay, I'll talk to you next year. Adios, amigos.